0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of FFS, another Brexit podcast. With me, I'm Amanda.
1: And I'm Jason and we're here to bring you all of the latest Brexit developments.
0: So this campaign is different and hopefully so is this podcast.
1: Indeed. So our guest this week is very timely given that we now know who our new Prime Minister is, Amanda.
0: So here to give you his immediate reaction to Boris Johnson being elector of the Conservative Party and, we assume, Prime Minister, we have ex-Deputy Leader of the Conservatives, Lord Michael Heseltine.
1: We're very excited about this one. First of all, though...
0: Well, what's a week for UK politics? I know,
1: I'm, I'm exhausted and it's only Tuesday.
0: I can't believe it's only Tuesday.
1: I know, uh, no,
0: so it's... far, we have had the election of not one, but two new party leaders. Joe Swinson for the Lib Dems and Boris Johnson for the Conservatives.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, one gives me a bit more hope than the other. <laughs> no, <laughs> 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 Shockingly enough. Um, so obviously we, we interviewed... Uh, Joe Swinson a few episodes back. Check out episode five, dear listener. Uh, and she was lovely and had some very interesting thoughts on Brexit too.
0: Unfortunately, I think, unfortunately, we haven't yet managed to get Boris Johnson on.
1: I know, what a shame. We should add him to the list of people that we're trying to get on. Boris Johnson, <laughs> Piers Morgan, Stormzy. Is there anyone else?
0: Uh, probably. My list of people to invite grows quite significantly <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. every week. Fair. <laughs> On Friday, we had the latest of our Let Us Be Heard rallies, and this week we were in Derby.
1: In Derby, with some pretty amazing speakers. Margaret Beckett, our upcoming guest, Michael Hezzetine, spoke. And, of course, an FFS young speaker, this time, Reza Matadar. She
0: absolutely smashed it. Um, I think I'm right in saying she was the only speaker to get a standing ovation, which is pretty
1: cool. Mm, that's nice. <laughs>
0: Are you sure, Jace? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Did that not sound genuine? No, that is amazing. It's
0: no, I know it's amazing. You sounded unsure. No,
1: that was me being like, sure. As in, mmm, that's nice. Still unsure?
0: That sounds how like you describe like a yogurt. Anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to need to work on my uh, my how this sounds good noise. How about but, this? Mmm, that's nice.
0: Okay, this is not what this podcast is for. So, <laughs> let's now talk about something that hopefully you do think was nice because you organised it and you were there. Yes. Our rally for the future that we held yesterday in Parliament, and it was a roaring success, if I do say so myself.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we. this is the first time we've, we've done this type of thing. And, you know, Parliament can seem uh, very intimidating, I think, for lots of people, including mm. young people. And actually, I think we thought it was important for young people to be leading an event in uh, the Palace of Westminster. We were joined by some brilliant MPs. We had Wes Street in there, uh, Peter Kyle, Catherine West, some brilliant FFS activists, Chair of Labour Students, Rania Ramley. We had um, Tyrone Scott from the Young Greens uh, and some of our very own uh, staff members, colleagues. So we had uh, Izzy Daly and Rosie McKenna as well, giving brilliant speeches. So it was, it was lovely. We had you a know, packed room, uh, people talking about why it was important uh, for young people's voices to be heard, making the case for young people being at the forefront of the uh, People's Vote campaign. It was great. Yeah. Just a nice, wholesome contrast to
0: basically everything else in yeah, politics exactly. right now.
1: Exactly. <laughs> it was like obviously horribly hot, but yeah, it was just, it was nice. It was nice. We were all like, sweating away in the Palace of Westminster, feeling inspired by young people and inspired by politicians who actually give a damn about young people. It was it was wholesome.
0: I got completely distracted by the fact that you keep calling it the Palace of Westminster. And I didn't know that that was the same place as the House of Parliament until about six months ago. Yeah, I think
1: I'm calling that because I, I sent the invites out and I had to put that label. Palace of Westminster is an unnecessary phrase to use. So I'm going to stop using
0: it. <laughs> it wasn't aimed at you. It's just aimed at the <laughs> fact that why would something deserve two quite different names?
1: Yeah, is, at this point, should I make no yoghurt noise or...? <laughs> Call it a <laughs> Okay, <no. laughs> all
0: right. Okay, so now we move on to actually one of my favourite bits of the podcast. I think onwards for fuck's sake. Mm. Unfortunately, that means hurtling towards a no deal Brexit because doubly unfortunately, Boris Johnson is now officially pretty much going to be our prime minister, and that just means a no deal Brexit is ever more likely. Yeah,
1: devastating our country for decades to come unless we can do something about it. And obviously, despite the fact that Boris Johnson wants to say that that's the, what the country voted for in 2016, it's 100% not what the country voted for yeah. in 2016. It
0: couldn't, be, it couldn't actually be further away from what people voted for. Yeah. Anyway, as a result of that, I personally, and I think Jason will probably agree with me, think that if it wasn't obvious already that uh, people's vote was literally the only way forward, mm. it definitely is now. And we haven't given up quite yet, have we, Jason? No,
1: we haven't. And I guess the, the key thing is we... Could easily feel exhausted by an exhausting process and an exhausting man. Now in number ten, but now is not the time to get tired. We've got to get fired up and angry, and we've got to work together to to change things. You
0: said that while slumping back in your chair, looking yeah, pretty no. exhausted. <laughs>
1: I, sa- I felt like I sounded more tired after. Yeah. We've got to fight. No, we've got to fight. We've got to fight, and we've got to we've got to do something.
0: So, I mean, if people want to get involved in what I think is going to be a pretty hectic, uh, well, a few weeks, let alone a few months, go to ff6.uk and have a look. Yeah. And on the subject of. Amusing things, not that we were on that subject, but I'm going to use it as a segue anyway. Yeah, that was an
1: interesting segue. (laughs) We are where we are. (laughs) Podcast novices.
0: (laughs) I think the heat has really got to me. Um, Every week we hand out an FFS award to someone, something or a collection of people. And this week, the delightful Jason Arthur is going Mm. to give us his hot take.
1: Right. So my hot take is this. It's not going to be Boris Johnson. That would be the obvious uh, award winner. The award winners... I'm looking at you, Matt Hancock. I'm looking at you, Amber Rudd. Uh, And I'm also looking at you, Tobias Elwood.
0: Ooh, why are you looking at them, Jason? The reason why I'm
1: looking at them, uh, these are people who, uh, over the last few months, over the last few years, have... Stood there and said, No, no deal would be catastrophic for our country and we won't accept it. And, you know, we'll resign. All of these statements suggesting that, you know, they were going to take a principled stand. And then, as soon as a ministerial car (laughs) reared itself, they lost all of their principles and are now happily supporting, endorsing Boris Johnson. So, my FFS award this week goes to all of those. Tory MPs, including those three who have completely lost everything that they said they stood for in terms of Brexit and protecting the country from catastrophe.
0: Excellent choice for FFS award, I would say, there, Jason. And if anybody listening wants to make sure that young people can continue to campaign on probably one of the most important campaigns. In our, in our lives, please do have a look at our crowdfunder, which is still running and we're hoping will help us get to 100 campuses during the freshers and welcome back season in September. So please do have a look at that and think about supporting us there.
1: So in the shorter term, there's lots happening this week that FFS are leading on as part of the People's Vote campaign.
0: Indeed, Uh, we've just come back from potentially the warmest protest yet at the QE2 Centre in London, where Boris Johnson was, as I'm sure you all know, announced as the Conservative Party leader.
1: Yep, and by the time that you listen to this will have walked down Whitehall with a banner that says, let us be heard. So that instead of just watching images of Boris Johnson as he goes to meet the Queen, you might also see our lovely faces. He may
0: only want 160,000 Conservative members to have a voice, but we fundamentally believe that the rest of the country wants to be heard as well. Hence why we'll be saying, let us be heard. Mm. And also coming up next Tuesday, we are in Birmingham for the next of our Let Us Be Heard rallies. Uh, this is said to be quite a big event, so personally, I'm quite looking forward to it. Yeah, it's and be great. there's quite an impressive bill of speakers that I think you'll start to see throughout social media towards the end of this week.
1: Yeah, keep an eye out. So we are very excited to welcome onto our humble little podcast a man who needs little introduction but we're going to give him one anyway. A
0: Conservative Member of Parliament for over 50 years and a key member of both Margaret Thatcher's and John Major's administrations, rising to be Deputy Prime Minister under the latter and an all-round political titan and leading supporter of the People's Vote campaign.
1: So welcome Lord Heseltine. Thank you very much. So just to... I guess begin. Today is obviously a big day. Boris Johnson is going to be our next Prime Minister, leader of the Conservative Party. And so it'd be great to know your thoughts on that and I guess his willingness to impose a no deal on the country if he's unable to get a deal with Europe.
2: I have two reactions to Boris's uh, accession to number 10. First, I know him well. He took over from me as member of Parliament for Hemley. We've had a very good personal relationship. And I worked with him when he was mayor of London, where I think he did an impressive job for the Conservative Party. So on a personal basis, um, of course, I wish him well. But uh, the other side of the story eclipses, and that is uh, his commitment to Brexit. I could never vote for a prime minister who was committed to making this country poorer and less powerful. And that is uh, the general assessment of Brexit. But to do so in the chaos of a no-deal Brexit is, in my view, culpable. And in terms of
1: then, I guess, your feelings of loyalty towards the Conservative Party, you obviously voted uh, or came out as voting Lib Dem uh, for the European elections. How does that impact your feeling of loyalty to the party now under a, a Boris leadership?
2: It's the central question for any member of parliament, where are your loyalties? What in the last resort do you place your flag in the sand and say, here I stand? And the more you think about it, in a free society, in a democratic society, it has to be about your sense of obligation to your country to the future generations, to those you've listened to and followed through your life as leaders of the Conservative Party. And that's my position. This is not a communist society. This is not party above all else, do or die your Mm. party. The party is a vehicle through which you express your own morality, your own convictions, your own energies – and in the main, of course, there were compromises. In the real world is we're not divided into two groups of 13 million people with <laughs> identical views. Uh, so there are, of course, compromises. but uh, on a such a, an issue of national self-interest, there cannot be a compromise. And so my loyalty to the country is the one that, in the end, is where I place my stand.
0: And on that question of loyalty, do you think it's because of loyalty to the party that more Conservatives, maybe kind of who are like yourself, aren't willing to call out quite how bad a hard Brexit, and in particular a no-deal Brexit, would be?
2: There's no doubt about that at all. Mm. I see people arguing for the Conservative Party, voting in Parliament for Conservative Whip, who I know perfectly well disagree with the policies they're voting for. Mm. They put their party loyalty first. Sometimes they put their careers first. Sometimes they put their constituency interests first. Each of us has to make that decision. Where, in the end, do you owe your loyalty? And I don't need to repeat myself. My loyalty is to my judgment about British self-interest.
0: There seems to be a kind of general... Uh, assumption maybe kind of out there that as as the clock ticks down again but also now that there's a new leader and there will be a new cabinet that more maybe ex-cabinet ministers will start to come over to the idea of a referendum because they might have a different way of seeing things or because it's now Boris Johnson and not Theresa May. Do you think that'll be the case or do you think they'll have a lot of other options they might prefer?
2: I think that the second referendum option, which at the moment doesn't c- command support in the House of Commons, mm. will almost certainly grow as all the other options n- diminish. Yeah. It's very difficult to see what alternatives there are. Let's look at the cold facts. Cold facts is that the government has an overall majority of three. It's facing a by-election, the result of which could affect the size of its majority, And it has got on its backbenchers a significant number of Remain voting conservatives, likely to find their number enhanced by the reshuffle that's going to take place in the next 24 hours or so. And so there is no effective majority for a government. There is a thing called a general election. But if you look at the polls... You basically have got four groups more or less equal at about a quarter. Yeah. And it's almost impossible to see how in that configuration there can be a result from any general election that would change the broad position of stagnation that we have at the moment. Therefore the referendum option seems to be a way forward.
0: Mm. And you you, you mention a General election, obviously, there was another party that got a new leader this week, and I think Joe Swenson could be quite formidable leading the Liberal Democrats. And do you think there are some Conservative MPs who maybe uh, maybe see that change and think, oh, actually, referendum over general election, because their seat, particularly in the South, might be in question?
2: I think that would influence some Conservative MPs, Mm. but I also observe, it's not very profound, that the Lib Dems are making now significant recovery. They haven't got back to where they were before the coalition, but they're heading in, the in right that direction. direction. And there are very significant number of conservatives who are not going to vote conservative if the conservatives are in favor of leaving the European Union. How many? Nobody knows. Interesting, the number of members of the Conservative Party who didn't vote about 18,000 members mm. of the Conservative Party didn't vote. Well, maybe they couldn't be bothered. Maybe they've lost their papers. But is it possible that actually they wouldn't vote because they couldn't vote for a Brexit Conservative Prime Minister? Mm. I certainly didn't vote. I'm one of them. Oh, okay,
1: That's interesting. Do you, do you still, just trying to drill into this a bit more, do you still consider yourself a Conservative given the guise that the Conservative Party is or has now?
2: Without the slightest shadow of doubt, I have no hesitation because, um, well, put it the other way around. What about all those Brexiteers who, when the Conservative Party was broadly in favor of our European partnership, dug in? They were much vilified and very isolated. But the one thing you have to recognize is that they had views which they believed in strongly and which they held to like limpets on a rock. Mm. Today, <laughs> today they have uh, in the House of Commons probably a majority. So what is the argument against me saying, well, look, I'm in the same party. I disagree on this issue, but not on anything else. And I, therefore, will stay just like you stayed and fight. Mm. Because I believe in the Conservative Party, its traditions, its uh, its records, uh, and in the broad posture with which it wins elections. Mm. But is there a line for you?
1: Is there a line where you would say, actually, you know what, I don't feel comfortable Staying if this is going to be the approach of my party. And I guess my question for you would be if you think no deal is so disastrous for the country, why isn't that
2: your line? It's not my line because I think I can be, in my own tiny way, as effective as a member of the Conservative Party as outside it. Indeed, I think probably I can be more effective inside the Conservative Party because it's in that I get any sort of press coverage or any sort of voice in the in the matter, it is a sign of encouragement to millions of people that they too can stay within the Conservative Party, stay and fight. Mm. And that's the advice I give them. I think it was a mistake, those uh, tiny, very brave members of the party who left the other day, I think they should have stayed. I think it was a total mistake, the Social Democrats who left the Labour government in the early 80s. Mm. They would have, in my view, done better to, to a fight within the Labour Party and herald the return of san- sanity to that party. Mm.
1: Talking of the 80s and the 70s, when you know the Tories were in their pomp in the 80s, they were able to reach across all of the different age groups in order to command support. If you look at polling, if you look at the membership of the Conservative Party, support from the young has collapsed. In your view, what changes that? Because I think a lot of people will look at a Boris Johnson premiership and think, actually, everything that he's saying goes against the values or interests of younger voters. Can you see anything that in prospect that changes the party's support from younger voters?
2: I think you've hit uh, uh, the bullseye because the last figures I saw showed that the conservatives in the 18 to 25-year-old group have a 5% support, which is, of course, death to a political party. Mm, mm. Indeed, it gets worse because you had to get over the age of 51 for the conservatives to have a majority of support. So I completely accept the point that, that you're making. Now, I don't think that as long as the Conservative Party argues for Brexit in any form, that they can recapture that element of the electorate. But I would have to say that my own observations is that on domestic policy, I don't see anything that argues that Boris Johnson couldn't be a perfectly attractive Prime Minister. And here I go back to the mayoral experiences. He won London twice. And London is not a conservative constituency, but he won it twice because he was of the center ground of politics domestically. His great mistake was to embrace Brexit.
1: Mm. I mean, I guess there are some who would argue he was up against quite a weak Labour candidate with all of the history of anti-Semitism and other challenges and perhaps that's why he was uh, successful as opposed to his track record or
2: being part of the center ground. How, how would you respond to that? I think I might accept part of it but not the anti-Semitism because I don't think it was an issue at that time. It's now a, 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 a crucial and unacceptable issue in the Labour Party mm. But I don't think it was an issue when Boris was standing as mayor of London. Mm. Um, It's something that's happened for reasons which it's not for me to defend or articulate. It's completely unacceptable.
0: Mm. I think I'd probably agree with that. It's only Mm. really come into the headline a lot more recently. I was just thinking what you said about young, young people. Obviously, it's something that we as a group focus all of our energy on and... So, of the young conservatives that I know that we work with, a lot of them also didn't vote in this leadership election, and theirs was because even when they were looking at the original sixteen, was it? Oh, how many? It felt like a hundred candidates who might put themselves onto the ballot. They didn't see themselves reflected in in any of them. And I was wondering if if there had been a different pair on the ballot from that original group, do you think you would have voted? Or was it just the Brexit issue was clouding stuff over too much for you to have a vote in this? If there had
2: been a Remain candidate, I would without the slightest doubt have voted for them, Mm. subject to knowing who they were. But I mean, uh, (laughs) fair uh, enough. (laughs) uh, But but certainly that would have made me uh, uh, sympathetic to listen. But there were two sorts of candidates, that's all there were. One was a hard line, we're getting out, cake and eat it type approach. The other was, I don't believe in it, but uh, the party is going this way, so if I want to be leader, I better subscribe to it. Mm. And I can't accept that on this issue.
1: The one-nation conservatism that I think you certainly believe in is... Not in the ascendancy at the moment uh, within the party. What what's going to drive that back up? That way of thinking. Mm. What stops Jacob Rees Mogg et al being the ones who dominate?
2: I don't think I agree with your analysis about the one nation conservatism. If you imply it's gone, uh, then I certainly don't agree with you. And and I let me just go back a bit. the The only person recently to have won a general election was David Cameron for the Conservatives, and he was certainly a one-nation Conservative. He was much more popular than the Conservative Party. He won the, the election, not the Conservative Party. Uh, and his agenda, in my view, uh, was very much a one-nation agenda, and I had the privilege of working for his government in, in an advisory capacity. I, as I said before, I think that Boris Johnston's mayoral background argues the same case. But the problem that we've got is that Brexit has now taken over the whole political agenda. Uh, Indeed, in my view, it's not Brexit so much as the fallout of 2008, because what you see as Brexit here is Trumpism in America, is Le Pen in France, AFG in Germany. Um, It is the reaction of a democratic, advanced world Who've got used to decades of advancing living standards find that for the last 10 years they've been denied them and they want mm. change. And the easy change, the one that is the, the, the populist uh, weapon immigrants, bureaucrats, foreigners. And if you can package that, that's what Trump does, it's what Le Pen does, it's what Mr. Farage does, then you have a toxic uh, agenda. Would you not?
1: And I think some would argue this, add Boris to that list, to the extent that he has said things in the past that many people would say are abhorrent, whether it's about I you know, think minorities, Muslim women, people who are gay. There, there seems to be, at least in rhetoric, I know you talk about him from a kind of centrist background, but in terms of what he says, I guess a, a concern that he doesn't represent the liberal values that most young people would say that they have.
2: I I think you could argue that case, and it would be worth a a forensic analysis. Uh, My own judgment is that, on balance, Boris as mayor comes out in pretty favorable terms, but Boris as a Brexit prime minister has a a, a great deal of problems on his hand. (laughs) Feels like an understatement, doesn't <laughs> it? Yeah,
0: <laughs> do you have any predictions for the Conservative Party, whether it be six next six months, next six weeks, six years perhaps?
2: No, I think we are now facing a period of instability. Mm. Uh, I don't see how a, a general election can resolve the problem. I don't see how, on any polling extrapolation we have today we're going to get a working majority for a particular party. Certainly, Corbyn is not going to get a majority. He's now 18 points or something in the polls. There's no conceivable way that that can turn into the 40, 45, whatever it needs to become Mm -hmm. a majority party.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a difficult one to think through, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I guess the final question, just in terms of your leadership as part of uh, the People's Vote campaign, if you don't mind me saying, I think many people would have viewed you or someone like Sir John Major as normally quite measured in your communications about things, but actually you've been very strident and very forceful in your support for a people's vote. And I just wonder, to the extent that we can make any predictions on the people's vote front from now until uh, October, I guess your vision of your role in helping to
2: drive that case. Well, if I may be quite honest with you, I keep saying to myself and to my (laughs) immediate, my wife particularly, What the heck is it about an 86-year-old that is doing the sort of work that I'm doing? I long for someone who can do this role of probably 40 years younger than me. Uh, I've recently been very flattered to become president of the European movement. and In my opening speech, I said my task is to find a successor uh there's just a limit to what you can do at my age but Mm. as long as i have the energy and there appears to be a void and people ask invite me i feel well if i don't who will
0: Mm. it feels like there's a lot of debates currently where people are kind of like well if i don't who will that's
1: why we set up ultimately (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah we thought we had to we had to step in
0: yeah so that that brings us to the end of our conversation. But thank you so much, genuinely, thank you so much for having us both in your really quite lovely office with a nice view. I've been admiring, <laughs> and also for your your insights on quite a big day in British politics. I would suggest. So thank yeah. you, thank you very Great much.
2: Pleasure, for thank, thank you. you, and good luck to you. Yes, thank, thank you.
0: you.
2: <laughs> so thanks for
1: listening in to this podcast. Apologies for all of the giggling at the start. <laughs> I feel like we we're, our giggling has gone too far
0: the heat just really got to me i'm I'm not (laughs) even gonna lie about it it's just really hot today (laughs) i
1: was listening to a previous podcast we did and i just felt like i didn't i didn't say anything i just giggled the whole way through (laughs) (laughs) and you're now giggling too um tune in next week for another round of ffs another brexit podcast give us some lovely five-star ratings on itunes and tell your friends family acquaintances strangers tell everyone
0: you're such a beck